Blog Talk Radio. According to to Holy Trinity Bible Chapel, we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 11. That is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. And we are going to be looking at the foundation of the gospel. Foundation of the gospel. The title of of uh, the book, of course, is to the Corinthian church, and it is authored by St. Paul. Uh, We're told in chapter 16, verse 8, that he wrote this letter while on his third missionary journey from Ephesus. Uh, Though most scholars would uh, date this book right around uh, 55 A.D., um, Acts 18, 1 through 11 actually records the founding of the Corinthian church. Um, I have been taking a class uh, on the book of Acts at Southern Evangelical Seminary this semester, and man, it's fascinating. <clears throat> so much going on there. So if you get some time this week, um, you know, look, look at that. Acts 18, 1 through 11. The church was made up of Jew and Gentile. And according to uh, Acts 18 and uh, verse 11 and 18, his ministry lasted there 18 months. When St. Paul left, uh, the church developed some serious problems, including uh, sexual immorality, uh, abuse of the sacraments, uh, disorder during the service, and other problems. You see these addressed throughout the book, of course. Now, some of the background, again, Corinth is is one of the largest cities in the Roman world, and one of the most corrupt, 
according to Acts chapter 18, 1. Uh, it was a city uh, in the port that would get many international uh, visitors, so to speak. Um, kind of reminds me of like the uh, Las Vegas of, of uh, today. We live today in an age of great skepticism, great skepticism and unbelief. Every Easter, like clockwork, the big stations like CNN, MSNBC, uh, the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, etc., do an all-out assault on the Christian faith. Uh, this is just not hard to find at all. Uh, CNN did, I think, almost a month or maybe longer uh, of shows leading up to Easter. Um, I can't tell you how many people have been influenced uh, by, uh, for example, the History Channel's um, The Hidden hidden Secrets of the Bible and, you know, The Lost Books. Uh, every year these things come out, and every year they get shown to be, um, you know, false. <laughs> um, but they just keep coming. <clears throat> Central to the assault, of course, is the resurrection of Christ. Skeptics know that if the resurrection didn't happen, Christianity is false. See, in America, specifically, uh, most people believe that God exists. Now, they have different views of who this God is. Um, it's very, you know, uh, generic. Uh, most of the time, it's made, uh, the God is made in their own image one who doesn't condemn sin or say, you know, certain things are wrong. Uh, he's just a God of love. He just wants everybody just to have a great time. But <clears throat> when you start narrowing down and saying, who is this God? And you start saying things like, Jesus is God, and only Jesus is God, well, that's that's when, that's when you start to ruffle some feathers. So <clears throat> people know that... Um, the way to dismantle Christianity is the resurrection of Christ. If you can demonstrate the resurrection of Christ doesn't happen, Christianity is false. Of course, these skeptics get it more than the liberal Christians. You have liberal Christians who have given up the resurrection long ago, friends. There will be those in pulpits across the country, come Easter, who deny that Jesus rose physically from the dead. They don't believe that. They believe, you know, the stories of morality and uh, those <clears throat> kind of things, you know, the, the things of love and uh, acceptance and um, condemning religious people, you know, they love that. But when it comes to things like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, the literal Adam and Eve, <clears throat> a Jonah and the whale, Noah and the ark, those things, of course, they're rejected and laughed at. Why is that? Why is that? Well, because the resurrection requires a miracle. Uh, and skeptics and liberal theologians reject miracles. And thus the resurrection is dismissed as a myth or an allegory. 
dismissed as a myth or an allegory. See, the problem is, folks, you have people that presume or assume uh, naturalism. Naturalism is the idea that the universe is all there is, was, or ever will be. Uh, that's a slogan from, of course, Carl Sagan and uh, you know his, his show, The Cosmos. And because they have adopted naturalism, miracles are not possible. And the resurrection couldn't possibly, as we will see, be explained by natural means. And so they have to attack it. Well, let's dig into this. Let's dig into this uh, text here. We're going to go through verses 1 through 11. So let's start with, with verse 1. He says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there's a lot of things we see going on in this particular text. We see, one, that um, the gospel is able to make us stand fast. Those who receive the gospel are able to stand. And it also saves, providing it is a true confession of belief. See, every other religion seeks to offer a way to the afterlife, but it's through works. You know, really, you can boil you can boil these systems down to basically two. One is of works. Uh, Islam, for example, right? One must obey the five pillars of Islam. You have to, you know, do the shahada. Uh, you know, there is no um, god but but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. You have to pray five times a day. You have to take a journey to Mecca if it's in your means. Um, you have to give a certain percentage of, of your taxes, etc. Uh, in Hinduism, you have to live uh, you know, a decent life in order if you want to come back reincarnated uh, you know, with something more than a mole or something like that. Beauty of the gospel is that we do not have to trust in our own righteousness and in our own goodness. People will ask, do you believe you're saved by works? And I'll tell them, yes, we are saved by works, but they're not our works. If you are a Christian, you are saved not by your own works, but by the works of Jesus Christ. See, everybody is going to be judged, and everybody's going to stand before Christ, and you are either going to trust in your own goodness and trust in your own righteousness. You know, thank God I am not like like them. You have made me such and such, right? And what does the poor, lowly man do? He beats his chest and says, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the heart of the gospel, and that is Every true Christian, every true Christian who has been born again realizes they bring nothing to the table. I think it was John Edwards that said, but their own sin. <clears throat> so we are saved by faith alone, 
in the works of Jesus Christ alone. Every other system, folks, every other system, two, basically two religions. One says we're saved by our own works. Christianity is the only religion that says Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. In this passage, St. Paul is laying down the foundation of the gospel. The Greek word for gospel means good news. Uh, this is where liberal Christianity really breaks down. As St. Paul goes on to say, uh, if there is no resurrection, there is no Christian faith. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christian faith. Either the resurrection happened or it did not. Either Jesus really physically rose from the dead or Jesus did not. We read in Thessalonians, uh, I believe it's First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, and uh, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as the, not as uh, the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now, we know a common objection is, well, no, I don't believe the Bible because the Bible is written by man. <clears throat> well, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but there are a lot of books that are written by men that don't have heirs, right? Just because man can err does not mean man will err. And if you have a supernatural God that can create the universe, and there's good arguments and good reasons to think God created the universe, then I think he can provide a book and tell us how he did it and preserve the book so we have an accurate uh, translation and account of those things. Right? Just because man can err does not mean man uh, definitely will err. All right, so just kind of again, verse 2 says, uh, and by, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Many have taken this passage to mean that one can lose their salvation. I don't want to go too far off on a rabbit trail on this verse, but it is a, you know somewhat of a Bible difficulty that sometimes comes up um, for those who, who hold to eternal security. Of course, we are a uh, Reformed Baptist Church. We hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession. And in our confession, uh, it has a whole section on the perseverance of saints. But uh, those in different <clears throat> traditions and denominations, uh, such as Methodist, Pentecostal, um, some Baptists, might even be the majority of Baptists, um, etc., believe that one can lose their salvation. Now, growing up in a Pentecostal church, I remember uh, altar calls every week. <laughs> they were they were every week. They were strong. They were emotional. Uh, and the funny, not funny thing, I don't mean it like that, but the the weird thing is, looking back on it, is they were always targeted at uh, Christians who were in the church who, you know, uh, were convinced that they were backsliding and needed to come and invite Jesus into their hearts again. Now, First John tells us, you know, we need to confess our sin. We need to do this daily. I have no problem 
uh, with going and uh, confessing sin. You know, in our service, we have a time before communion where we do a general confession of sin. Right? And that's, that's good. That's biblical. But we don't continue to ask Jesus to come into our heart. We don't continue to ask Jesus to save us. Why? Because if we are born again, it's a perfect sacrifice on the cross. Honestly, that's why I don't even like that, uh, you know, that term of going to the altar. The altar is done away with. Jesus Christ died on the cross once for all. And so there's a lot of damaging effects that can come from this kind of theology uh, as it really robs believers of assurance of peace through the work of Jesus Christ. Now listen, if you're living an ungodly life and you're doing things in a constant state of sin, we all fall. You know, we all, every one of us falls. We all sin. Uh, you know, I do it every day, probably multiple times uh, an hour. You know, um, I know how, I don't even know fully how, but I, I know a glimpse of, of, of how uh, wicked I am, okay? So I'm not saying, you know, you're, we're living a perfect sinless life, but what I'm saying is um, if it's a constant state of rebellion and wallowing in sin, then we should not have assurance, but... If we have repented, if we have trusted Christ, if we are if we are um, abiding in Him, then we we have peace. First John, you know, the reason he writes the letter is to what so that you may have peace and that you may know uh, that Jesus rose from the dead, and we can have these you know this this confidence. As we showed earlier, the gospel is good news. Uh, it's not good news if we can lose our salvation or if our salvation is dependent upon us. In any way, if my, if my salvation is dependent upon me, I'm losing it within, you know, uh, 0.2 seconds, if not 0.1 second. Uh, because uh, I'm not the person I want to trust in. Uh, and so the gospel is good, good news. Now, again, as I said earlier, we are a Reformed church. Uh, we hold not only to sola scriptura, which is uh, the doctrine that the Bible alone is the only infallible rule of faith and practice, but we also hold to what's called tota scriptura, the to total of Scripture, the totality of Scripture. So we certainly can't look at one particular passage and isolate it. We must interpret Scripture with Scripture, as the Reformers talked about the analogy of fide. Uh, there are certainly, or the analogy of faith, uh, there are certainly verses that if, if taken in isolation could appear to support conditional security. Um, just, you know, I've been, I've been meeting with Jehovah's Witnesses for, man, the last, it's got to be eight or nine months. You know, and if you were just to look at the particular verses that they bring up, and just the humanity of Jesus, one might conclude that Jesus was not fully God. You know, uh, if Jesus is God, then, you know, um, how does he die on the cross? Or if Jesus is God, how come he doesn't know all things? Or if Jesus is God, um, you know, how come he's eating and sleeping, etc.? Well, because you have to look at the totality of Scripture, and you see Jesus has uh, two natures. As theologians talk about the hypostatic union. So yes, he has a human nature, but also divine. But if one just, just isolates 
you know, certain passages, you're going to come to the wrong conclusion. Uh, and so we need, you know, we need to, we need to look at all of scripture. And uh, so we'll do more on that issue of eternal security as, um, as we do more Bible studying and, and that. Uh, but I just wanted to hit on that because that does come up a lot. All right, let's look at verses 3 through 8, the foundation of the scriptures. The foundation of the scriptures. So we see in verses 1 through 2, the foundation of the faith. Foundation of the faith. So now we'll see in verses 3 through 8, uh, the foundation of the scriptures. It says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Now, Paul wanted to understand uh, the gospel. We're told in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. All right. And so you can read in Acts chapter 9, I believe it is, with the Damascus Road um, and the experience that the apostle Paul has there. But he's clear he didn't receive this from man. He receives it from God. And uh, particularly, it says a revelation through Jesus Christ. Now, we see in verse 3, it says, Christ died for our sins, what? According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. There's numerous passages that we see in the scriptures that talk about uh, the death of Jesus. And uh, I'm sure you guys, as you you know start thinking, um, can think of numerous places off the top of your head uh, where Jesus is prophesied to die. 
Uh, one of the most popular passages, of course, is uh, in the book of Isaiah. And uh, I've heard, I think it was might have been Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, Line of Fire, talking about how he had used this passage uh, with some of his Jewish friends. He just read it and uh, asked them where they thought it was in the Bible, and they thought it was the New Testament. And, uh, of course, were surprised when they find out it comes from the Old Testament because, uh, of course, Jews, uh, Judaism accepts the Old Testament but rejects the New Testament. So this is from Isaiah 50, 53, a very popular passage. Um, we'll just start in verse 1 and, and just um, go through it a little bit. Uh, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's very clear. Uh, in that passage, that it is speaking of Jesus. And again, from Genesis to Revelation, as they say, you see the the red thread, the scarlet red thread of redemption. You know, the Bible uh, is very coherent on this. It's one of the proofs of the Bible. You know, it's written over 1,500 years, three different continents, you know, 40 different authors. And it's it's coherent, it's cohesive. Psalm twenty Psalm twenty two. I remember reading this as a young man and just uh, being blown away at how accurate it was, and that it was in the Old Testament. Psalm twenty two. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? As you hear these words, you know, think: Are they familiar? Have you heard those before? Uh, maybe in the Gospels, right? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you, and they trusted and were not put to shame. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There's no one to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan 
surround me, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me and divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Now, friends, we could go on and on and on and on and on with Old Testament prophecies uh, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, but there are a couple. And uh, the scriptures tell us this had to be done and fulfilled according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins, what? According to the scriptures. Now, we know from history that Jesus died by crucifixion. We have multiple attestation from both Christian and non-Christian sources on this. When, when, when historians look at the New Testament, uh, they do not assume that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. Many people... When you bring up the resurrection and you start to give a defense for the resurrection and you quote from the Gospels, they want to immediately reject it uh, because it's coming from the Gospels. And, uh, oh, therefore it's by, it's by a source, can't be trusted, uh, etc. But when New Testament scholars, and to be clear, New Testament scholarship is not made up of a bunch of you know, evangelical Baptists, uh, you have numerous atheists that are New Testament scholars or agnostics. I'm thinking of someone like Bart Ehrman, one of the top of the top, uh, went to Moody Bible Institute, you know, at one time, confessed Christ, um, or pro I should say professed Christ. Uh, then he went on to Wheaton, and uh, I believe it was um, Metzger he, he sat under, and uh, their book on the Greek is still standard textbook, you know, today in many seminaries. Um, he later committed apostasy. He walked away from the Christian faith. Um, he's written numerous books, numerous books, um, at a popular level and academic level, but on the popular level, uh, the tone is quite different than the academic level. Uh, the academic level is a little more reasonable, and you could, you know, read it and um, probably agree with a lot of it, but the more popular level books are just trying to uh, cast, cast doubt upon uh, the Bible. With with the age of the internet, you really have the the internet atheists and the internet skeptics, uh, who even some deny Jesus even existed. And um, if you guys have time this week, um, you can you can go to YouTube and you can type in uh, Bart Ehrman verse infidel guy. Infidel, infidel Guy uh, hosted an atheist podcast for years. And uh, there's times he would host debates, and other times he just would bring atheist guests on. And uh, one particular episode, and I'm, I just mentioned, uh, he brings Dr. Ehrman on the show and um, <laughs> proceeds to say that uh, basically Jesus never really existed. And uh, Airman challenges this. Uh, 
and they go back and forth, and basically Ehrman just knocks the stuffing out of him for about 15 minutes uh, to the point to where, you know, Rich, Rich Finley, the, the host, is like, well, I don't know if Jesus exists, and I'm not a historian. And uh, Dr. Ehrman, well, I am a historian, and I'm telling you Jesus existed. He gets so frustrated at one point. He says, um, you know, you, you, you sound just like, like a Christian apologist. <laughs> and Dr. Dr. Ehrman is like, I'm not even a Christian, but look, you guys make yourself sound foolish when you're saying Jesus never existed. Uh, he did exist. So we say that all to say when the historians are looking at the New Testament, they're not assuming that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God. However, they do look to see if they are historically reliable. And most scholars would agree uh, that uh, at least the synoptics are. So let's let's look at this. Um, all the Gospels record the death and crucifixion of Christ, as does Acts and Paul's epistles. As far as non-Christian sources, let me recommend a book for you guys that is called, uh, I believe it's called The Historical Jesus by Gary Habermas. And he has, I want to say, like 39 uh, ancient sources that, that speak of Jesus. I could be wrong on that. I could be I could be misspeaking on that, but I know that there's there's numerous um, of them. So let's let's look at a couple here. We don't have a ton of time, but but let's look in, into this a little bit uh, with non-Christian sources. Uh, Thallus is probably the earliest secular scholar to mention Jesus uh, in 52 AD. Now, uh, his writings do not exist anymore, but another historian, Julia. Julius Africanus, writing around 221 AD, quotes from Thallus and says, quote, on the whole, on the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness. The rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other uh, districts were thrown down. Uh, this darkness appears to me without reason an eclipse of the sun. <laughs> Does that sound... Uh, does that sound uh, familiar at all, as we read in the Gospels? Uh, Marabar Serapion, around 70 AD, uh, says, What benefit did the uh, Athenians obtain by putting Socrates to death? Famine and plague came upon them as judgment for their crime, or the people of, of Samos, or burning Pythagoras, for burning uh, Pythagoras. In one moment, their country was covered with sand or the Jews, by murdering their wise king. And after their kingdom was abolished, God rightly avenged these men. The, the wise king lived on in the teachings he enacted. So the, there's several more sources we could go to, you could look at. Uh, that Jesus existed is just not something that's doubted, folks. I can think of two scholars off the top of my head, and, and look, I'm not, you know, patting myself on the back or bragging, but I've listened to uh, high-level debates now for 14 years, and uh, they just don't deny that Jesus existed. The two that I know uh, that actually are, have degrees in the field would be Bob Bryce and Richard Carrier. And um, I would just say, listen to someone like, and I think 
Bob Price and Ehrman recently did a debate, and I would just say, uh, listen to listen to the debates, uh, read the scholarship, um, uh, appeal to popularity or or authority uh, doesn't prove anything is true, but you know, like in the medical field. Um, you know, if you have 99 doctors believe, you know, uh, one particular thing causes a sickness and one doctor that doesn't, uh, it doesn't prove that just because the 99 do, therefore, that's the case. But uh, when you have people that are all trained in the field, and that's what they're all saying, um, I think I'm going to trust the 99 over the one. Uh, and so that's that's something that... Uh, you could consider. I, I would recommend uh, the works by Gary Habermas, uh, the historical Jesus, and uh, his book, The Case for the Resurrection, with him, him and Mike Lacona, and also uh, re- recommend Dr. Ehrman's book, who he just wrote a full book defending the historical Jesus. Uh, he does not believe Jesus rose from the dead, uh, and so the conclusions are going to be different, but that Jesus existed is just not something that's debated. All right, so from there, let's let's look at uh, in 1986, uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association published a series of articles uh, examining the practice of torture. Uh, the first article was titled "The Death of Jesus Christ" uh, by William uh, Edwards, who was who was an MD. Uh, from the journal, he says, "Quote the scourging uh, for scourging." The man was stripped of his of his clothing, and his hands were tied to an upright post. The back, the buttocks, and legs were flogged, either by two soldiers, sometimes called lictors, or by one uh, who would alternate positions. Now, as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Actually, did a um, video of this on I believe it was uh, some type of it was I don't want to say the Science Channel, but it was something like that. Uh, and what they were doing was just testing what would happen to uh, these, you know, the, these victims who were crucified and flogged. What did it do to their flesh? What did it do to their internal organs? Friends, I will just tell you, not pretty. Not, not pretty at all. Um, to even survive the flogging, I mean, that's a pretty big deal uh, because they are penetrating organs. You're going to have terrible internal bleeding. Um, it's, it was a horrible. It would be a horrible, horrible punishment. Um, when they would do the crucifixion, uh, they would have these uh, large nails. And a lot of this you can get from Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict. Um, but uh, the driven nail would crush or sever uh, the rather large median nerve. So some people have, have de- depicted that um, with the resurrection or with the crucifixion that Jesus would have had the, the nails in his, in his hands. And um, that's just not really accurate. In fact, they've, they've done tests. Uh, where it just shows that the weight of the person itself would not be able to to keep the hands um, the hands themselves would not be able to stay intact. And so what they would do is they would put the nail through 
the radius and the ulna, which is uh, the two bones that are on your arm. Um, the Greek word says hand, but what the, the Greek word means basically, uh, to my understanding, is anything. It could be anything below the elbow. And so most uh, most scholars today would say that because um, of the weight, etc., and that the hand is just not made to to hold that weight, uh, he wouldn't have been crucified in the hands, but in the wrist. And again, with that, you have the median nerve. And uh, once that median nerve is crushed, um, they say that the stimulated nerve would produce excruciating pain. It's funny, too, that that word excruciating literally means out of the cross. Uh, but, but bolts of fiery pain in both arms. Adequate exhalation also required lifting the body by pushing up on his feet and by flexing the elbows and adding, uh, adapting the shoulders. And this, again, this is all coming from the journal. Um, however, this matter would place the entire weight of the body on the tarsals and would produce searing pain. See, folks, the way people died on the cross, the way people died in crucifixion was through asphyxiation. Um, if all your weight is pressing down basically on your chest and your lungs, you're not able to breathe. You're not able to inhale. You're not ready to get, you know, you can't, um, catch a breath and, and, um, because the carbon dioxide is building up in your system. And so what they would do is they would flex. They would have to try and flex their legs to, you know, get a breath in and let a breath out. Um, but this would be very, very painful because you have your feet. You have your feet. You have all of that um, nailed and... What the journal concludes is that uh, ultimately Jesus died, that he did die by that crucifixion. That's important because um, we're going to look later at that, at some of the alternative theories that come up uh, that try and say, oh, he just he didn't really die. Um, but we're going to look more at that. We're about out of time. And so I want to thank you uh, all for joining us. Join us next week as we look at part two of 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. God bless.